0: I was glad when he said to me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Is anyone glad to be in the house of the Lord here this morning?
1: Amen, yes.
0: Yes. That was an amazing, amazing time of worship. My name is Chris. This is my good friend Valerie. Good morning, everyone. Here to share some things that's going on in the life of our church here this morning. If you'd like to follow along, there's a QR code on your chair um, with
1: that said. Yeah, if you forget everything that we say up here this morning, which you just might, um, you can just go on the QR code on your chair, and you can remember it all later. So, um, I know you guys are going to love this. We actually have our next night of worship on the calendar for August thirty-first. Go! Yes, Wednesday, August thirty-first. I'm so excited for this next one. Are you playing in this one, Chris?
0: I think I am.
1: Woohoo! Yay! Because you sang my very favorite song the last time which was, which was um, gosh, now I can't remember it. It was um, too good to not be true, too good to not believe. Singing. There it is. is why I'm there not on stage singing. Too good to not believe, but I love that. So maybe that one will be back up we'll next time. I don't we'll know. Um, we'll yeah, see. it was awesome. So mark your calendars, August 31st, night of worship.
0: Awesome. Well, um, if you have a rising fifth, sixth, or seventh grader, um, Fairfax Kids is inviting you to an incredible night on August 4th. Of fun and games, and the end of the night is going to be a color battle. Is that right? Color battle. Not quite sure what that means. Color blast
1: battle. It sounds really fun.
0: Um, The cost is $8 for supplies and snacks. You can find more info and sign up on the QR code on your share.
1: Yeah. So last week we kicked off our Backpacks and Beyond Drive. Um, You guys are amazing, and already half of our um, Amazon wish list is filled up. You guys took so many of the supplies and stuff, so thank you, thank you, thank you. What we really need right now is backpacks for these kids. We talked about going down on, on August 9th, we're going down to this community in Annandale that we serve, and we are actually going to register 150 of the kids that we work with there for Title I services, and we want every one of these kids to go home with it, a backpack that day when we're down there. Um, these kids just don't have the means to, to do what we, we so many of us are able to do for our own kids, so we want to make sure that every one of these kids gets a backpack. So you can find these cards um, actually out at the Love Your Neighbor board in the Great Room Coffee Shop. You can scan this. You could take a card. It's basically all on our VOMO app. So if you're already on VOMO, you can jump on VOMO to find our Amazon wish list and you can grab them or you can just go wherever you go to get your supplies, grab a backpack and drop it off here at the church. But help us, help us to um, make sure that these kids don't go without. So thank you.
0: That's incredible, incredible. Um, Generosity is a form of worship in our house. Um, And the greatest act of love and generosity is God giving his son, Jesus Christ for us. So the giving of our time, our resources, our money is just a natural response um, to the understanding of the generosity of a good God. And God is moving in powerful ways here in our church. So we wanna say thank you for being part of that, um, for what you're doing in and through our house these days. There are several ways you can give here this morning. Uh, You can scan the QR code right there on your chair. If you're online, you can visit our website. We also have some envelopes in the back and you can even text the number on the screen right behind me. Um, It is going to be an incredible Sunday here this morning. Our good friend, Jess Eitflucht is in the house. Um, It's gonna be awesome. uh, If you would uh, check out this video.
2: Fair Fairfax. It is so good to see you, whether you are here in the blue seats or out in the great room or in the hangar or watching online, welcome. We're so glad you're with us this morning. My name is Jessica. It is really good to be here with you. It's been about a month since uh, I have been here in person, worshiping with you on a Sunday morning. Uh, We were in Michigan visiting my husband's family for uh, a while, and then before that, um, I was at an event that our movement does every other year called the International Youth Convention or IYC for short. And so, so yeah, so it's been a minute since uh, I was with you, and it is so good to be back worshiping with uh, with my favorite people. So, um, so thank you so much. Uh, we took a group of 30 students and leaders from our church to IYC this year, and um, you know that I'm pretty solidly on the record about how remarkable our young people are here in the hangar at our church, but it's been a long time. It's been four years since our students were kind of uh, with other groups of young people, and so I had, to be honest with you, uh, kind of forgotten. How truly remarkable uh, our young people are. So, for reasons I'll explain in a moment, I wasn't actually with our group all that much this year for IYC. But uh, there was one afternoon, um, and we, it was at a main session as um, as all of the students were gathering. For context, uh, IYC this year's IYC we had just under two thousand teenagers that were in attendance at uh, this year's IYC, and that's about half of what our IYCs normally run. It's the first one since COVID, and so uh, so we were running considerably lower. Normally, they're between four and. Six, 6,000, but there was about 2,000, so there was a couple hundred students that were kind of in the lobby of the convention center there in San Antonio that were milling around, you know, there are like the booths, and you guys have probably been to some conventions, so you can imagine, like, before the main session starts, as people start to make their way in, there's like a low hum, right, it's like being in the lobby, uh, you know, like after the service, it's like there's people there, and they're talking, it's not quiet, but it's not like loud either, right, until our students arrived. So I'm sitting there at the registration desk trying to help this, uh, somebody solve this problem and, uh, and we're, we're working on something and, um, and all of a sudden I, I hear uh, a group come into the room that are singing at the literal top of their lungs. Uh, a worship song. One in particular, the theme song from Camp Grow this year that we apparently are never going to get tired of singing, never get tired. And uh, and so there's, they come in singing at the literal top of their lungs. And without looking up, without looking over at the doors, I looked at the woman that I was working with and I said, I'm pretty sure they're mine. And they were. So, uh, so our students were energized. They were excited to be there. Um, they had so much fun. It was so great to be there with them. I brought a picture of them. So you And uh, we're responsible for IYC and then we're also responsible for other youth ministry initiatives nationwide for the movement as well as some youth, youth pastors retreat and some other things that we do um, on behalf of the movement. And so I'm a part of the youth ministry team. There's five of us on the team. I have a picture of them too. And being a part of that team in and of itself has been just a tremendous blessing for my in my life over the last few years. Um, these guys are, are just like A plus dudes. And um, they're all youth pastors who are seasoned in youth ministry and um, have become dear friends of mine. It's just so good working with them. Um, I've been on the team for four years. I joined after IYC 2018, I cycled on, um, but um, obviously we canceled IYC 2020. And so this was the first IYC that I had gotten to see kind of come to fruition since I joined the team. And I was responsible specifically for two events. I was responsible for the pre-IYC prayer service and an event that we do called the Emerging Leaders Gathering. The pre-IYC prayer service happens the morning of the first evening session. So the first evening session of IYC this year, it was on a Thursday, on Thursday morning, it's a free day otherwise, but if you would like to come, it's a completely optional event, you can come and we literally just sing and pray. It's really reminiscent of like Advent prayer or Ash Wednesday here at our church. If you have ever participated in one of those events here, um, this is very similar to that, but it's fully optional and um, you have to get up, it started at 10 or 10.30, but again, these are teenagers and otherwise it's their free day, right? So we had over 700 teenagers who showed up just to pray for IYC and for what God was about to do in their lives. So that was really cool. Um, But the moment that took my breath away was was the Emerging Leaders gathering. So um, I made a decision a couple of years ago when I took over leadership of Emerging Leaders that I was gonna make a little bit of a shift in what we focused on. So for over a decade, Emerging Leaders has been about equipping students to lead where they are right now. So on their soccer team, in the band, In the youth group, uh, student council, wherever it is that students already are, um, how can they lead now from a, like, Christ-centered servant leadership mindset, right? And that's critically important, and we still believe in that, right? Like, we still believe that we want students to lead now, that they don't need to wait till they're adults or have an education or something uh, to lead, that they can lead right now where they are, still super important, but... um, you may or may not realize that in the church in North America, this is true of our movement, the Church of God, but also of of all of the faith in North America, we're at a critical point when it comes to pastors stepping into pastoral roles in churches. Um, Over the last uh, two years in particular, with with, uh, the incredible division that we have seen in churches, um, so many pastors have stepped down as they have... um, just struggled to know how to lead their congregations with these intense political divides. And, uh, and also we know that like a lot of funds dried up as churches had to close their doors. And so um, something like 40% of pastors have given serious consideration to or actually quit since 2020. Um, additionally, the average age of a pastor in ministry in the church in North America is, uh, is 60 and so the pastors are aging out and there are not any, not that aging out at 60, I'm not saying that, that's the average, listen to my words. Um, so, uh, so the pastors are getting older and there's nobody younger to come in and fill that gap behind them, right? And so, um, so I made a decision with these 2,000 students that were gathered before us that I wanted to invite those students who were maybe sensing a call to vocational ministry in particular on their lives to come and be a part of the Emerging Leaders Gathering. And so we're talking about uh, pastors in a traditional sense, missionaries, parachurch leaders, those types of, um, of ministry roles where your, your job, your paycheck potentially comes from uh, your ministry role. So, um, so it was a big change. And uh, I didn't know how many students to expect at the Friday night service. I asked the uh, the students who were in attendance if any of them were seeking, were sensing God calling them in this particular way, to join me at 8:30 the next morning. Again, teenagers. They didn't have to be anywhere. They could be sleeping. Um, to join me at eight thirty the next morning, and we were going to do a, a Bible study and talk about God's call on the lives of people that we see in Scripture. Because if you're going to go into ministry, you should probably enjoy studying the Bible. So, uh, so we were going to do a Bible study. We were going to try to encourage them. I wanted to know who they were. Um, all these things that we were going to do, but uh, but they had to they had to get up and come to it themselves. It was a, it was a fully optional. I thought maybe twenty would show up. Like I would have actually been really happy if twenty students had showed up for the Emerging Leaders Gathering. I would have been over the moon if 40 kids showed up for Emerging Leaders uh, that morning. Over 200 teenagers showed up for the Emerging Leaders Gathering. It was amazing. It absolutely took my breath away. I have pictures of our very crowded room to show you. Um, It was literally like groups. I had wanted everybody to sit around tables so that they could get to know one another and and talk to each other. And um, it was like, you could only sit on the floor. Uh, that we had, in fact, so this, as is often the case, a lot of these students, their youth pastors or their youth leaders came with them in an attempt to like affirm and be excited about, right? They wanna support this call that their student is sensing. And so I had all these youth pastors in the room and I kicked all of them out. I was like, I don't have room for any of you. I need you to go somewhere else. Uh, Cause it it was a packed room with teenagers. I completely ran out of handouts. I never expected that to happen. Um, we were way over, like the you know the maximum capacity. Fire marshal warning on the wall. We were way past that in the room that we had scheduled. So it was really it was really incredible. And um, I tell you this for two reasons. Uh, one, will you join me um, as you think about it in praying for these men and women uh, over the courses of the next few years? They are 15, 16, 17 years old who sense, uh, a, sense a calling on their life that. Um, it's just at such a vulnerable point, right? So many things could happen between now and the time that maybe they sense some, there's like some sort of a fruition to that call. So if you would join me in praying for them. Additionally, there's um, three students from the hangar who chose to come to the gathering. So three of our own students who are discerning that call in their own lives and what that might look like for them. And so I know you don't know their names, but, um, but God does. And so if you would, just as you think about it, be praying for those men and women. The other reason I wanted you to hear about what happened is because you are the ones who are supporting this work. All of the planning and the meetings and the event itself that I had to go to or that I did here, all of that was on company time, so to speak. It's uh, because of you and it's because of how you support this place and the work of the kingdom and in all of its manifestations across all demographics that I get to do it and I'm so grateful and uh, and so thank you for letting me do this work and for believing in the next generation because they truly are um, they truly are remarkable. So um, we're in a series called Love and Light, Light and Love. It's an eight week study on the book of First John, and in it, John is asking us to consider more or less. What is shaping us? What is shaping us as a people? So as we've talked about each week, First John was written by the Apostle John who also wrote the Gospel of John. It was likely written between 85 and 95 AD, probably from Ephesus. And uh, the letter, the First John was written about a decade or so after the Gospel of John was written. So the Gospel came first and the letter um, after. And John is alarmed by the increasing threat of false teachers who are teaching things about Jesus that are just... Not true. And these teachings are sowing divisions within the church that is really disheartening uh, for, for John, who, as an elderly man now, is likely one of the last ones who saw Jesus alive who actually knew him. And so he's encouraging followers of Jesus to love others the way that God loves them. The ancient church historian and theologian Jerome tells a famous story of, uh, of John the Blessed Evangelist in his commentary on Galatians. And uh, he tells the story about how John is extremely old, living in Ephesus, and he used to be carried into the congregation in the arms of his disciples. And he would come into the congregation and the only thing, he was unable to say anything except little children love one another. Little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. At last, wearied that he always spoke the same words, the disciples asked him, Master, why do you always say this? Because, he replied, it is the Lord's command. And if only this is done, it is enough. John knows that behavior flows out of belief, that it's hard to live in a way that it's hard to love the way that God loves if your view of God is shaped by teachings that are false that truth and love are inextricably connected. And John reminds these churches that this is reflected in the very character of God, that God is is light or truth. This is something that that both in the gospel of John and in the letter of John, that the uh, the themes of light and darkness come up a lot, particularly in the gospel. Um, If you pay attention to it, it's it's interesting how much John uses these themes of light and dark in the way that he talks and, and the way that he writes. So light exposes the darkness, it brings truth to bear on things being said that are not true. Light increases our ability to discern between falsehood and truth, between right and wrong, between good and bad. Love is the product of truth. Truth without love is not really true, and love without truth is not really love. Without truth, we will love the wrong things, and we will love in the wrong way. So the first week, Rod worked through the first few verses of 1 John to help us see that light, light that brings forth truth, light that shines in dark places, the light of Jesus... Light needs to be shaping us, that the truth of who Jesus is needs to be shaping us, the truth of who we are and how much we need Jesus needs to be shaping us. And then last week, Josh looked at the first part of chapter two, where John talks about love that is compelled by light, that the love of God for us and our love for one another are compelled by the truth of who Jesus is and who we are. We are shaped by being with God, by abiding with God as another, which is another turn of phrase that John loves to use. So this week we have just three verses to work with, but they are a theme unto themselves as you will see in a moment. John kind of turns a corner here and offers a sharp warning to all of us. His warning is this, do not let the world be what's shaping you. We're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, this message is titled, Our Complicated Relationship with the World. And it's called that because we are about to take what maybe seems to you like a pretty straightforward verse and really complicate it. Uh, So this verse actually, like if you were to just read this to me, just, you know, without context, just read it. I would be like, yeah. Yeah. I get that, that makes sense. The world is where evil is, and so we shouldn't love that because we don't wanna love evil, right? And this world is temporary, so there's no point in getting too attached because it's temporary, I got it, That's I'm good. Except this same guy, Pastor John, also said this not all that long before he wrote 1 John. Maybe you're familiar. For God so loved the world That he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So in the gospels, God loves the world so much that God gives us Jesus. But in the letters, we are told not to love the world. And the reason is because the world is not of God but God chose to love the world enough to send Jesus. And I'm pretty sure I have been taught since I was a very little girl that we're supposed to love everyone in the world, that we're not supposed to just love our friends or just love those who are following Jesus, but we're supposed to love, love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you, right? Like that's a whole thing in the Bible is that we're supposed to love everyone. So what gets? Why is John's message in 316 So seemingly different from his message in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Well, let's do some work. So we're gonna break down the passage piece by piece and see if we can figure this out together. Do not love the world. My first question is, I spent a lot of time just mulling this piece over this week. What are we talking about when we say the world? Like what, that's my first question. Like what are we talking about when we say the world? Are we talking about the planet? Are we talking about all the people who live on the planet? Are we talking about something else entirely? And the short answer is yes. So the Greek word that John uses in both his gospel and his letters is cosmos. And cosmos is a word that basically means all that God created, the entire created order. And John uses this word a lot in both the gospels and the letters. But he's put kind of his own little twist on the word cosmos. So when John refers to the cosmos, he's not just referring to all of creation, but specifically to fallen humanity. So we see this begin in chapter one of his gospel when he tells us that the true light, Jesus, came into the world. John 1, 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So Jesus, who made the world, comes into the world, but the world does not recognize him because the world that Jesus came into was not the same as it was when he created it. Since then, sin has corrupted it and infected it. The daily life of human society has become organized and systematized under the power of evil. Systems that lie and cheat and breed judgment and distrust. Systems that make hate and oppression the norm, those have become so ingrained into who the world is and how we as humans live and function in the world that they have corrupted all of creation. So much so, the power of evil in the world had changed the world so much so that the creation could not recognize the creator. So God loves the creation so much that God sends Jesus to rescue a broken and sinful creation. And creation does not recognize him, though we know that the final victory is God's. We still live in this mysterious yet not fully redeemed or, or, uh, or restored world. That, um, that we still live in this like mysterious in-between place that continues to be plagued by sin and destruction and brokenness. Because God still loves what God created. God loves all that God created. And when God loves, God loves with a holy love of redemption. So the word that John likes to use for love is agape, which is maybe one that you're familiar with. Agape love or a self-sacrificing love is a love that sets aside the self for the good of the other. A love that gives of oneself so the other, the other person, the other whatever can flourish a love that sets aside oneself so the other can flourish. And when God sacrifices, when God agape loves, God does so to bring redemption and restoration to the world. That all of creation might again recognize and honor its creator. That's what God wants. God sends Jesus so that all of creation, all of us, the entire created order might uh, might recognize and honor its creator. For the glory of God, we are here for the glory of God. But there is so much in the world that is apart from or separate from God. And we are warned in the strongest of terms not to love that. That world is not ours to love. We cannot love both the systematized sin of the world and God. If we find ourselves agape loving, self-sacrificing loving the systems of the world, then we have gone astray. And if we are laying aside our own good for the sake of the sinful systems that are a part of the world, then we are off the mark. And then John says, or anything in the world. Not only should you not love the world as defined by brokenness and sin, but you also should not love the things that the world produces, the things that belong to the world. I think the message translation is helpful here, so I wanted you to see it. Um, The message translates translates it like this. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. The goods and ways of a broken and sinful world squeeze out love for the Father. That's convicting. Maybe it's just me, Uh, but I feel that. When I focus too much of my love on the things of this world, it becomes harder to love my God. When I am ready to sacrifice myself for the world's ways, when I'm ready to to set aside everything else so that I can go after the world's goods, it becomes very hard for me to also sacrifice of myself to love God, for me to serve God. That as I go after the things of this world, it makes it very hard, it squeezes out my ability to also be self-sacrificing towards my God. And those desires become what's in control. So John is gonna, uh, this is helpful because John's now going to like unpack this idea a little bit more for us. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. So the lust of the flesh. These are the ways in which you will sacrifice others to get your own way. If agape love is self-sacrificing for the good of others, then the ways of the world are to sacrifice others for the good of yourself. So the ways in which you will sacrifice others to get your own way, the ways in which you will sacrifice what you know is right to get your own way, the ways in which you will seek your own flourishing over the flourishing of another person in order to get What you want. And when those desires, when that desire to get what you want, to get to to sacrifice other people to get what you want, when those desires are in control of you, that's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. You see it and you want it and you will do whatever you have to have to do to get it. And whether this means taking it or making stupid decisions to get it, whatever it is, you see something that you want and you go after it could be anything. It could be power, it could be money, it could be a person, it could be anything. But you see something and you want it and you are willing to sacrifice other things in order to get it. And when those desires are what's controlling you, then those are the desires that are in charge of you and not God. And then the pride of life. Wanting to be known by others. Wanting to appear important to others. Now, we don't know anything about this as people who live in Washington, DC. We don't know anybody who just really wants to appear important to other people or anybody who, uh, who just wants other people to know how important they are, who just wants to be known for something, right? Um, but you could imagine such a thing, I'm sure. You could imagine such a thing that maybe somebody would pass along a tidbit that they know to make it seem like they're in the know. Right? Or maybe, uh, maybe somebody comes down super hard on another person who's a little bit lower than them on the org chart just to make it clear who is in power here. You want others to think that you matter, whether it's for the right reasons or not. Theologian John Stott summarizes the three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life this way. As unholy desires for things one has not and unholy pride in things one has. I think that's so good, so I'm gonna read it again. It's John Stott, S-T-O-T-T. Unholy desire for things one has not, and unholy pride in things one has. And now we come to the second reason, to not love the world. The world and its desires will pass away. Because remember, for God so loved the world that God sent Jesus to redeem and restore what God made. To bring life instead of death. And the arrival of Jesus marked the beginning of a new age. And the present age is doomed. And the new age is where, is where the redemption and the restoration will happen, right? So the arrival of Jesus marked the beginning of the new age. The brokenness of the world, like the darkness that is in it, is already disintegrating. And those who love the systems of the world and the things that result from those systems, they will pass away with the present age as this new age takes over and makes things new and redeemed and restored. That's the promise of salvation. That's the promise of Jesus. And some days I feel like, okay, I'm on board with this, but it's not happening fast enough. Like what is taking so long? John's been dead for 2000 years. And there's a whole lot of present age that still has not disintegrated. Um, And I don't know about you, but the pull is strong. And the, the the, the work is hard to resist the brokenness of the world and the temptation of the things of this world. And there is so much brokenness around us. It feels defeating. It feels overwhelming. And yet, there is also so much evidence of Jesus's redeeming and restoring work of the new age that is coming in Jesus. On the last morning of the convention, we had a speaker who is a friend of mine and I was talking to her before the service. She was asking how the weekend had gone, if it had gone the way that we were hoping it would. And I was telling her, yeah, it's been been incredible. And I confessed to her and I'm confessing to you now that I felt a little bit convicted actually about how surprised I was by how good God was. Like God had done so much and God's fingerprints had been so overwhelmingly obvious in, in huge ways and in small ways. And I was kind of surprised and I was convicted by how surprised I was. Um, like, why did I, did I not expect God to show up in big ways? Like, it, haven't I given this much of myself to this so that God would and then God did and I felt surprised by it. And, um, and it was things like, you know, ways in which God spoke to me personally in my own life and heart, um, but also in ways that it was clear that, that God was doing something. In the, can I tell you one story? Is that okay? Um, so, our theme for IYC this year was called Upgrade, and it was based on Isaiah 43, which is the passage that says, Forget the former things, for God's about to do a new thing, that God's going to bring forth rivers in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Okay? That was our, our theme verse. The thing is when you hire a speaker to speak at a conference like this and those speakers like speak for a living, they never talk about what you tell them you want them to talk about, right? It just doesn't happen. So we um, had hired, uh, we had asked a woman named Hosanna to come and speak and she's phenomenal. You should totally follow her, I love her. Um, But we hired her to come and do the first night and we wanted her to do, she has a a talk about how, don't call me by my old name, I only answer to this now, right? I've been given a new name and I no longer answer to my old name. And so he asked her to come and to do that. She's a spoken word poet and she closed with this um, beautiful spoken word poetry at the end. Um, But she didn't even like reference Isaiah 43. it wasn't even like a passing, oh, this is your theme. Like she just did her thing, right? So her passage for that message that she was there to give is 1 Samuel 17. And so that's what she talked to about. And 1 Samuel 17 is about David who goes to the battlefield. This is the David and Goliath idea, right? But, um, but he goes to the battlefield to bring food to his brothers who are down supposedly facing off with a giant, but nobody is willing to go in and face the giant yet. And so David gets down there and is like, what's going on? Why isn't anybody facing the giant? And he starts asking a bunch of questions and nobody likes that he's asking all of these questions. And so that's what she was talking about. That was her passage. The next night, We had Jeremy Dixon who came and preached. Do you maybe remember Jeremy? He's a friend of our church and uh, he was here a few months ago. And so he was here and he preached about how God wants to upgrade something in your life. What's the new thing God wants to do in your life? And that's about as close to the theme as Jeremy got with his message that night too. Um, But it's fine. He did an incredible job. So here's the thing though. He preached also on 1 Samuel 17. He didn't know that Hosanna preached on 1 Samuel 17 the night before. He didn't didn't know beforehand, he didn't know in the planning, he wasn't there the night before, I don't think he even knew Hosanna Wong preached the night before he did, and he picked up where Hosanna left off with all these questions that David is asking, and that took us through to the rest of the story of David defeating Goliath. Like that doesn't happen if God is not working in all of the details for people as they are preparing to bring, you know, their gifts to the stage for these students. It was, it blew my mind. I was sitting next to the IYC director when, and when Jeremy got up and said he was gonna preach from 1 Samuel 17, I like whipped my head over it. He was like, he didn't know. This is like, this is, we didn't know. It was incredible. And I was shocked by it. Like I was so surprised. And I don't know why I was So shocked because I've been going to IYC since 1996. I know what God does at these events, but it had been four years since the last one and I guess I'd forgotten because we see the world. We see the brokenness and the pain up close these days. And while I strive and you strive to see the goodness, to see God at work all around us all the time, it's hard to only see a little bit and still maintain a vision for what could be. It's what Paul unpacks more thoroughly in his letters as the now and the not yet, that we see evidence of Jesus's redemption and restoration now, but the fullness of the new age has not yet come. It's the the now and the not yet. And Steve Garber is a college professor and a a mentor to many. I had him for a class once in college and uh, he mentors a lot of people from all walks of life. And as a result, one of the things he gets asked to do a lot is to to officiate weddings. And unsurprisingly for those who know Steve, he has a bit of a different take on the marriage vows that he asks couples to commit to. Um, He asks them on their wedding day, the day that they believe themselves to be the most in love with this person that they have ever been. That, they, uh, that they're going to commit their whole selves to this other person. He asks them, do you vow to live and work for proximate happiness and proximate love in your marriage? And it always catches the couple a little bit by surprise. After all, aren't they marrying one another so they can know the fullness of all happiness and all love every day for the rest of their lives until the end of time? And if you've been married for a few years, you can appreciate how laughable a concept that is, but you can maybe also remember yourself as a newlywed making these promises to one another so full of optimism and hope at what it is. And so uh, this idea that you would be willing to live and work for something that is proximate, maybe you see the wisdom in Steve's marriage vows. Never in this life will we have the fullness of happiness or human love we will only ever have something that approximates it. It comes close some days, but it will never be all that it could be. And so are you willing to live and work for something that isn't quite all that it could be? For proximate love in your marriage, for proximate happiness in your home, in this world we have proximate justice, we have proximate peace, we have proximate love, but someday there will be full justice There will be true peace. There will be pure love. It's just not today. But are you willing to live and work while we wait for the fullness of all things to come to pass? It's a tension that every follower of Jesus has to hold as we see the brokenness and the redemption in the same moment, sometimes in the same breath. For now we wait. We wait in the in between. Here's one more piece of the scripture. But whoever does the will of God lives forever because we wait and we stay focused on doing the will of God, on abiding in God as Josh talked about last week of being with God, of doing what John said over and over and over both in his writing and in person to love one another. Because while our relationship with the world is complicated, it also isn't, love one another. If only that is done, it is enough. John asks us to choose what will shape us, love of the world or love of God? To whom will we sacrifice with agape love? Will we devote ourselves to the unholy desires of the things we don't have or the unholy pride in the things we do? Or will we devote ourselves to doing the will of God, to living and working for the inbreaking of a new age, for the incremental restoration, for the small acts of redemption that we get to see today? I asked the worship team to teach us a new song this morning, and it's uh, it's by North Point Worship, who... This will now be no surprise to you. Let us at IYC and we're incredible and I have lots of good things to tell you about them. But, um, but it's by North Point Worship. It's called Devotion. And um, this particular song is one that has been, I've just been sitting with for the last few weeks. Um, the chorus just says, I want to pour out all my devotion. Every drop I have is yours. Nothing is wasted here in your presence. I bring you more and more and more. And the reference, if you're not familiar, is to a story that appears in the Gospels of Mary who uh, pours out this very expensive oil and anoints Jesus' feet with it. It's sometimes referred to as a perfume or as 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 an oil, and it's extremely expensive, and she pours it on his feet to anoint him with it. And she's mocked and ridiculed by those watching, but Jesus sees the devotion in this act, that she has given all she has for him, that she has sacrificed him with this pure act of worship. And, uh, and so uh, she just wants in those moments to abide with him, to be with him. And the song is about us abiding with God, that nothing is wasted here in your presence. When we abide with Jesus, then all of our, uh, all of our sacrifice, all of our devotion, all the things that we bring, nothing is wasted in the presence of God. Um, So I guess that's my prayer for you, and for me, for all of us. That when faced with the daily decision to devote ourselves to the world or to God, that we will pour out all we have for Jesus. That we will stay in the presence of Jesus just a little longer. To keep our gaze focused on Jesus just a little more. That we would choose to go all in. To give all we have to agape love the God who agape loves us we would be a people devoted to the will of God and to the light of God and to the love of God. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your goodness. The goodness that we get to see all around us. Even as we stare the brokenness of the world in the face, God, may we not miss the goodness, the redemption and the restoration. God, may we not be a creation who does not recognize the creator, we focus our love on you, focus our devotion on you. May we recommit again this morning to pursue the will of God in all that we do, with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our strength. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand
0: and sing with us?